Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Chit Chat with Kim. How is everybody doing today? It is Sunday morning on the beautiful North Shore of Long Island, but it is cold, you guys. The weather has arrived, definitely. It's about 35 degrees right now. Um, Went outside this morning to feed animals and let chickens out and stuff like that, and the grass was crunchy. Um, So... I mean, that's my sign that, you know, winter is upon us. And I'm okay with that. I love the changing of the seasons, winter included, because to me, winter is just that time of year where we should just rest, right? Naturally. Um, Animals go into hibernation. They go into rest. Gardens go into rest. You know, um, chickens they don't really produce eggs that much in the winter. They go into a sort of rest, you know. So we as humans, I think we forget sometimes that we're supposed to rest as well. So I welcome winter. I welcome the rest. Um, what else is going on? Well, to my fellow New Yorkers up in Buffalo, man, you guys, holy smokes, right? So if you guys have not seen any type of news at all anywhere. Uh, Buffalo, New York is getting slammed with a, uh, like, I think they're calling it lake effect snow. Um, The last I checked, they were at like seven feet and they were still going. So um, we're thinking of you from down here on the island. Um, Stay strong, you guys. And uh, I have never been more thankful to be on the island. Um, But we're all New Yorkers, so I feel you. Um, Anyway, what else is going on around here? Hmm. Not not a lot. Not really. So you guys, um, I have to just give you, if you guys know me, my, obviously I love coffee, right? Hence the name of my, my show. But coffee creamer, is my thing, right? I love coffee creamer. Um, That's my one guilty pleasure. You know, I strive to live a sustainable life. And if I can make a coffee creamer that tastes as good as the coffee creamer that I buy, then I surely would. But there's just something about this unhealthy coffee creamer that just makes my morning. And it's the little things, you guys. You got to do what keeps you happy, you know? So I've been on the pumpkin spice kick, right? And right around this time, I'm like, ooh, sugar cookie or peppermint mocha sounds pretty tasty, right? But you guys, I found Irish cream, creamer in the store. Now, I doesn't, I don't know if the rest of the world feels my struggle, but here where I live in my grocery store, it is extremely hard to find Irish cream creamer. And I just, I don't understand why it's made by several different companies, but in a lot of my grocery stores here where I live, it's hard to find. So when it's there, it's like Christmas, right? So we were grocery shopping um, last night and I looked over and I said, holy 
minutes. There's Irish cream creamer. So if you are a local, my friends, the stop and shop in Smithtown on Middle Country has Irish cream creamer. Go get it now. Go. I was so ecstatic. So I'm I'm being good and my coffee this morning. I did not open the new bottle. I am finishing the old creamer first. So it's still pumpkin spice today. But soon, my friends, soon. I can guarantee you by our next podcast, I will be talking about my Irish cream creamer and my coffee. I just wanted to let you guys know that little tidbit. So today, I know, I'm insane. Whatever, you're listening. Uh, So today... We're going to be talking about wintertime, right? What are some things that I do personally in the winter? What are some things that we celebrate in the winter? Some very important holidays are are here for some people. And more importantly, we're going to focus in today on a particular, not really an herb, but in that kind of context, we're going to talk about willow. Because right now in the winter is when... Um, you can harvest and collect a lot of things to make a lot of different like tinctures and medicines and all kinds of good stuff. And we're going to get into it and we're going to use the greatest book of all time, Wild Remedies. Um, If you don't know by now, then that means you haven't been listening. Okay? Because I talk about this book often. Anyway, before we go any further, I wanted to give a quick... um, shout out and i thought this was really cool so my podcast here as you guys know is hosted on anchor anchor is part of spotify so if you guys are listening on either anchor or spotify thank you um that supports me and um allows me to do what i do but i was looking at my uh analytics the other day and I just wanted to share something that was really awesome and give a shout out because I am international. You guys, I never in my life thought that anybody would listen to me at all, but I have quite a few people listening and I just want to say what's up to those countries that I can see that you are listening from. So right here, hometown United States, I'm also being heard over in Germany, Canada, the United Kingdom, Norway, India. Costa Rica, Indonesia, Tunisia, and Australia. So what's up, everybody, all around the world listening to Coffee and Chit Chat with Kim? Word, thank you so much for your support. You have no idea how much that tickled me and just made me feel like I'm not beating my head against a wall, like people are actually listening to me. And I thought that was pretty cool. So thank you. Also, I wanted to give uh, another local personal shout out to a family that I adore. Um, The amount of strength and love that I have witnessed in this family um, has been incredible. A sight that I will probably never encounter again. So, and I've been told recently that they are listening. So what's up, Marie and Dominic, Dominique, the Colorassies of Selden, New York, 
Thank you for tuning in and listening. I love you guys. Um, so yeah, today let's talk about a few things that I like to do in the winter. That's going to include talking about a very lovely tradition and holiday that me and my family celebrate in the winter, and that's Yule. We're going to get into a little bit of the history of that and exactly what that is. Um, but first, go and grab your potion of choice. Today, like I said, it's coffee with some pumpkin spice, but I'm going to go ahead and top it off. You guys, go and get your stuff. Cozy in. Get ready to learn some stuff because we're going to talk about some really cool things when we come back. Stay tuned. Listen to the ad, please. No, seriously. Listen to the ad. And then come right on back with your potion and let's get cozy. All right, everybody, welcome back. So first thing I want to talk about is um, I just love the vibe of winter. That's me. A lot of people are like, I hate it. It's depressing. But to me, it's very calming. It's very soothing. It feels like I can finally just relax for a little while. During the spring, the summer, and the fall, being a homesteader and a gardener, I'm very busy. If I'm not physically doing something outside, I am mentally preparing for something, planning for something, figuring something out. Um, so there's a lot of time and work that goes into my life between spring and fall. In the winter, there's really not much to do outside. So I do some planning for my spring, and then I take the rest of the winter to work on indoor projects, like if there's something that needs to be done around the house or, you know, something that needs to be built or um, preserving, putting up things in the pantry. That's all done in the winter, but it's not as much as I do for the rest of the year. I do take the winter to rest. So um, another thing that we celebrate in the winter is Yule. And that's also known as the winter solstice. This year, it's on December 21st. Normally, it's between the 21st and the 22nd. More than likely, it's the 21st. Um, and then there's 12 days of Yule. Traditionally, and it goes from December 21st to January 1st is when Yule is celebrated. But um, we're going to get into that a little bit. Today is November 20th. So this Thursday is the holiday that everybody knows as Thanksgiving. And I've recently um, been asked by some people who are not from this country the history of Thanksgiving. Like, what does it mean? Why is everybody so crazy about turkey? <laughs> and explaining Thanksgiving to somebody who didn't grow up with what we were taught Thanksgiving was, watching their face as I spoke about what really happened, um, 
their look of horror and their response to me after I spoke about, you know, what, what the real history was, they were like, why would, why would anybody celebrate that? And what the hell does it have to do with the turkey? I said, nothing, absolutely nothing. I said, but do you actually think that the United States is going to teach these children the real history? of what we really did and and what Thanksgiving really is? Of course not, because we're, we're taught fairy tales in school. And just her look of like, you guys are insane here. And we're like, yeah, I know. We're, this is the American dream, right? So I just, I thought that was kind of like interesting. It was an interesting experience because... <laughs> She asked me, you know, she had younger children who are in school and, you know, right around this time is when they start bringing the paper turkeys home and stuff like that, you know. Um, so she just didn't understand what the hell the big deal was about some turkey. And it was like, it has nothing to do with turkey. Um, no, but. Um, and for, you know, since I do have international listeners, um, for those of you who um probably know the real history of what Thanksgiving is in the United States. The United States teaches us when we were children that the pilgrims came over from the Mayflower looking for a better life. And then they landed on Plymouth Rock up in Massachusetts. And, you know, they were nice, peaceful people and they were dying and they were sick and the native people helped them and taught them how to grow corn and harvest turkeys, and then they got together and made a big old dinner and sat down and had dinner together. And that's Thanksgiving. That's what they teach us in school. That's I'm 41 years old. That is what they taught me in school of what Thanksgiving is. So if any of you know, that is all complete and utter bullshit. That is not what happened whatsoever. Um, the pilgrims that came over here were not a peaceful people. Um, they did not try to learn from the indigenous peoples that were here already because this is their land and where they lived. Um, they were awful people. They brought disease with them. They brought, um, rape and, and murder and slavery and, and slaughter and and just awful, awful people. <laughs> and there was no um, teaching of how to grow corn or, um, you know, making a nice meal and all sitting down together and having a grand old time. That did not happen um, at all. It, it was, it couldn't be further from the truth of what happened. And so I and my family, my little family here, um, we do not and will never celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, I will never celebrate a holiday that promotes um, the horror of what happened um, to the indigenous peoples here. Uh, never. Um, so what do we do? So we take this time 
as the changing of the seasons are happening to celebrate what the earth has given us. It's the last harvest before the earth goes dormant um, to bring in from outside in the garden. This is usually the time where people stock up their freezers. So the only thing I can think of turkey related is that most birds are culled at this time and stored for winter in the freezer. Um, so we're harvesting, we're bringing the last of what the earth has given us throughout the year. We're bringing that inside. We're preparing it for the dormant months of winter. And we're thankful to the earth for providing us with what we needed to survive, to feed our family, and um, to say goodnight for a few months and wait for the return of the spring. And that's what we celebrate. We take the time to be with family and cook good food in honor of what the earth has given us. And that's it. I don't partake in any type of Thanksgiving celebration or anything like that because I refuse because it's wrong. Um, so yeah, so that's my thoughts about Thanksgiving. I know you guys were like, oh, she's going to talk about what she's cooking for Thanksgiving. No, no, I'm not. I'm actually not cooking anything. Uh, we are combining two um, delicious dishes. We are there is, if you guys are local to Long Island, go quickly, as soon as possible, to Kings Park, to a restaurant called Mi Pueblo. Mexican and Central American food, delicious, authentic, delicious food. My daughter and I went there because we were interested in um, having some pupu, um, I'm sorry, pupusas for, um, quote, Thanksgiving. Um, but it was very important to us that they weren't some knockoff, not authentic tasting um, dish. So we went there and we had some for lunch and they were phenomenal, phenomenal, delicious. My daughter was very pleased. So we are going to order some pupusas from them for Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving. And um, we're going to heat them up in the oven. And then we are going to go to um, Uncle Giuseppe's and get some stuffed shells uh, because they're delicious. And then we're going to heat those up. Because do you want to know why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I have to work on Thursday between 8 and 2 o'clock. Because people feel that it is necessary to send arrangements to somebody on Thanksgiving Day. Um, and while you're ordering deliveries for Thanksgiving Day, please keep in mind that that means somebody does not get to have that time with their family on that day. They have to be at work making things and delivering things because you ordered it. So I've always been a big supporter of retail being closed on that day and not available because it's not necessary. It's not a life-saving decision or purchase that you have to make. It's not necessary, so it should be closed. So people have the time 
with their families. That goes for retail, fast food, gas stations, all that crap. You know, if if you haven't gotten what you needed by Thursday, then you're done. Because people shouldn't have to be away from their family for your convenience. That's my thought on that as well. Um, But yeah, I'm just full of thoughts today, aren't I, you guys? Anyway, let's get on to the next holiday. So the next thing that we celebrate, like I said, is the winter solstice. And the winter solstice is like the halfway point, right? So let's talk a little bit about what that means, what do we celebrate, and a little bit of the history of it, and then we're going to get into um, Willow. So this is Yule, also called Yuletide, Yule Fest. It's observed by most uh, uh, various Northern Europeans or Germanic peoples, uh, like modern pagans, uh, spiritual people, you know, um, Culturally, it was Germanic pagan, um, and then Christians took it over and is what now is known as Christmas. Uh, It's uh, celebrated, like I said, between December 21st and January 1st. This happens every year. Um, You know, it's like it's our Christmas because it, it was. So let's talk a little bit about what this is and and we'll uh, we'll go over it just briefly. I'm not going to get into it too much because we have other things to talk about. But um, during Christianization, Yule was reformulated, whereupon the term Christmas tide came to predominance in English. Some present-day Christmas customs and traditions, such as the Yule log, the Yule goat, the Yule boar, Yule singing, and others, may have connections to older pagan Yule traditions. Um. Cognates to Yule are still used in English, the Scandinavian languages, as well as in Finnish and Estonian to describe Christmas and other festivals occurring during the winter holiday season. So, you know, think about all of your um, Christmas songs, how many of them have Yule in them. So Yule is the modern version of Old Norse. Um, uh, one, and I believe it was one of the names for Odin, like it's affiliated with Odin somehow. I'm not a Norse pagan, so I'm not going to speak on it like as if I know. Um, but let's see what else it says. Old Norse. Yeah, we know about Old Norse. So it looks like Danish, Swedish, Norwegian, Icelandic, um, and Germanic groups, you know, so it is celebrated. I am a Celtic pagan. We do celebrate Yule in, in, um, in what I believe in. So, um, let's see. What are some things that we do for Yule? Well, my family, we make um, a Yule log, we'll go and we'll go outside and we'll find a nice piece of wood, usually on our property where we are or in the area surrounding. Um, and we'll collect things like pine needles and pine cones. And we usually put some berries on there and cinnamon sticks and 
we'll dehydrate some oranges and citrus and we'll decorate our Yule log and we'll have it, um, you know, displayed because we'll make it a few days before Yule. And then on the night of Yule, we'll go outside and create a bonfire and we will burn our Yule log. And then what we do on is on bay leaves, we write down our wishes for the upcoming new year, um, what we want to create, what we want to let go of, and we will burn the bay leaves as well. And we'll exchange gifts, and that's it. That's our traditions. That's what we do. Not saying that that's what every pagan does, Celtic or Norse. Um, you know, a lot of people will celebrate it different ways. And if you celebrate Yule, I would love to hear what you guys do. So if you follow me on any of my social media, just, you know, send me a message or, you know, comment here or send me a message here and let me know what you guys do for Yule if you celebrate. I'm interested. Um, again, it's just something because of our beliefs. We don't believe in the Christian belief of what Christmas is. Um, we follow a much older, quote, religion, if you must. Um, so yeah, things are different for us. We celebrate different things. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that anybody should tell anybody else what they can and cannot celebrate or believe in. So do what you will. Um, all right, so let's get into what we came here to talk about today. Finally, right? You're like, Jesus, Kim, just stop talking and get to it already. Okay, I'm going. All right, so today, you guys, I'm going to be reading to you from my favorite book in all the land, Wild Remedies. Um, if you know, you know. If you don't, go find out. Um, and we, if you have the book and you're going to follow along, we're going to be starting today on page 323, and then we're going to skip to the back of the book um, and I'll update you on the page if you're following along. But I want to read to you guys right from this book because I want you to get all the real good information. I'm not going to sum it up at all because why should I? These people that wrote this are geniuses. So I'm going to just let you know exactly what they said. So if you don't have the book, don't worry. You're going to hear right from the book. Okay. It starts off um, and says winter. Darkness descends, coldness invades. In many places, winter is a time of stillness, a time to delve inward like chipmunks in their burrows and snails in their shells. Exactly what I was saying. All right, so it says, busyness has been laid to rest and you are invited to lose yourself by gazing at heart's fire. Snuggle with your favorite blankets, people, and furry friends. Savor each cup of steaming tea, Reminiscing about the adventures that brought it to your apothecary. The bright days with full baskets, soil-scrubbed hands, and a sun-kissed face. In warm locales, winter may contain the dual possibilities of indoor restoration and outdoor activity. As cooler, wetter weather awakens plant growth, hiking shoes and harvesting baskets reappear. The longest night of the year has traditionally been one of celebration around the world. For with it comes the dawn of a longer day, and a promise that the sun will return. Perhaps in an effort to ward off a fear of darkness or a fear of turning inward, many people in modern society have forgotten how to settle into the quiet of winter. Instead of resting and reflecting, people exhaust themselves in a frenzy of rampant consumerism and stress-filled feasts. But we don't have to buy into that. 
Celebrations can be more meaningful when simplified. Gifts made with your hands, curated from Earth's natural bounty, are priceless. While much of the Earth slumbers, one can still find life stirring in tucked away spaces. Evergreen trees gracefully hold snow. As the distant sun shines low on the horizon, birds and mammals scurry to find the morsels to eat. Rose hips, the hearty fruits of season pass, cling to their branches and offer sweet red jewels for the adventurous gatherer. Meanwhile, dormant deciduous trees patiently wait, their buds growing slowly with the returning light. Is that not beautiful? My word, it just makes me so excited for winter. So they suggest some winter activities, and I think they're pretty cool. So here they are. Gaze at the stars because there's nothing like a winter sky, you guys. I can attest to that. Look for birds' nests and leafless trees. Make a nature arrangement. Go snowboarding or snowshoeing or sledding. Cozy up with your favorite book. Reflect on your year. Sip warm beverages. Draw twigs and buds. Make herbal gifts for family and friends. Or keep a journal. Pretty cool. All right. So let's go now to, if you're following along in your books, we are at page 361, chapter 32, Willow. Okay. So it says, Down by the creek or riverbed beside the flowing current, you'll often find willow bracing the bank, deliciously soaking up lots of fresh water. In late winter to early spring, its catkins are among the first flowers to emerge, giving sweet nectar to pollinators. This is also the best time to harvest willow for its medicinal bark. As the willow leaves out, its canopy offers a cool shelter from the sun, making it the perfect spot to enjoy your next picnic. Um... Let's see. I just want to interject in a word that I'm not comfortable using as I read it from the text. Um, the last word, I'm not going to repeat it. Um, I don't like the history of that word and I'm not comfortable using it. And I'm sorry that I read it. Um, I'm not going to say it again. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know. Um, okay, let's see. Botanical names. Salix. Hmm. Parts used are the bark, leaves, and catkins. The energetics are cooling and drying. The taste is bitter. Um, Therefore, uh, making astringent, inflammatory modulator uh, uses are fevers, inflammation, lax issues, pain, strengthening, transplanted plants. Um, you can make... Uh, Concoction, a, a decoction, powder, tea, or tincture. All right. So let's see what we got here. I'm not going to read through all of it, but I would like to read through and kind of just give you the history of this because I think it was really cool. And to all of my people up here, on Long Island, this is something that we can go out into our yards and look for. If I know a lot of people who have willow trees, I have one in my yard. Um, so this, 
upcoming winter, I really have a bad feeling that there's not going to be a lot of medicine available on shelves. So I urge you to pay attention to nature. Okay. And I chose willow because it's available to people around me. Okay. Um, it says when it comes to medicine, willow may win the popularity contest everywhere. Willow grows. It has played an important role in medicine and tool making. Archaeologists have found that people in Finland were making nets from willow at least 9,000 years ago. Our oldest written herbals from China, Assyria, Egypt, and Europe all mention willow, and many native people use it extensively. A variety of willow species grow commonly all over the northern hemisphere, making this a generous plant of the people. This analgesic constituent um, was isolated from willow in 1828, which led to further studies until aspirin, the pharmaceutical, was created and patented in 1899. The final product was derived from another plant with similar constituents, meadowsweet. But more than 100 years later, aspirin remains one of the most popular over-the-counter drugs. So what are we saying? We're saying that willow bark... Is what they used before aspirin came along. That's all I'm saying. Now, I just want to say before we get into anything any further that I am not a doctor. I am not a certified herbalist. I am somebody with a passion for alternative medicine, holistic therapies, using herbs before pills, um, that's my belief, but if you are on any type of prescribed medication, please seek the, um, advice of your doctor before coming off of any medications and anybody who wants to dive into the world of alternative and holistic medicine, please seek the advice of your physician first before using anything, um, I believe that science and nature is one and they work together and intertwine, but make sure that you have the okay from your doctor before you start messing with things, okay? So anything that I say on my podcast is from a book, is my opinion, and is what I practice in my life and um, not suggesting to you know, go off and not listen to what your doctor is saying. I'm just saying that this is what I do, okay? All right, so um, medicinal properties and energetics. Willow is a cooling and drying medicine used to relieve pain and stop excess discharges. Don't think of willow as a weaker form of aspirin. Its gifts are broader and different from this synthetic isolated pharmaceutical. In many ways, willow is safer than aspirin and is most likely conveniently growing somewhere near you. Hear me hear me. Okay. Plant gifts. Relieves pain and inflammation. Willow can relieve many types of pain, including headaches, arthritis, low back pain, osteoarthritis, and muscular soreness. Scientists have studied how exactly willow works. Interestingly, it has very little um, salicin and researchers surmise that its pain relieving effects are due to many constituents such as flavonoids, and polyphenols. One study reviewing the differences in action between willow and aspirin stated 
The multi-component active principle of willow bark provides a broader mechanism of action than aspirin and is devoid of serious adverse events. In contrast to synthetic aspirin, willow bark does not damage the gastrointestinal mucosa. Aspirin is known to reduce pain, inflammation, and fever through blocking this, the COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes. But as Carrie Bone and Simon Mills point out in Principles and Practice of Phytotherapy, it is unlikely that willow works in the same way. Many herbalists consider willow to be a safer choice than aspirin, especially in regards to pain, inflammation, and fevers. Human clinical trials have shown willow bark extracts to be safe and effective at relieving low back pain and osteoarthritis. You guys. Okay. Um, so it works as a lot of different things, but I want to focus for time's sake on some of the things that we can think about using it for this upcoming season as the cold and flu starts to settle in as the colder weather gets here, um, as maybe something that if medicine's not available on the shelf, we might have to start thinking outside the box. Um, so I'm going to jump around if you're following me um, to the title Relieves Cold and Flu Symptoms. Willow has been used extensively for lowering a person's temperature during a fever, but whether willow is the best choice for fevers has become a bit of a controversy. There is a growing appreciation for letting fevers run their course, as they are an important part of the immune system. Artificially lowering a fever prematurely weakens the body's vital defenses and could give a pathogen an open door to wreak more havoc. Many herbalists recommend using willow for this purpose only if there is a danger associated with a prolonged high fever. Willow's anal analgesic qualities can also help to relieve the aches and pains associated with fevers. So you see they're not saying that it's a cure, but it can assist with the aches and the pains for a fever. So a lot of people, myself included, believe that a fever is just, you just got to wait till it breaks. That's the best thing. I don't believe in damaging your liver to draw down your fever. So um, that's just my beliefs. Uh, but again, if there's a constant high fever, that means something is incredibly wrong. And at that point, you should already be at the hospital. So um, let's talk about how do we identify this? What are we looking for? Look for water-loving willows. Um, near streams and other places with damp soils. Willows often um, become hybrids and can be hard to identify the exact species. That's okay for medicine making purposes. As for the most important thing is their taste of the bark, which can be bitter, right? Willows grow in many forms from tall trees to stemmy shrubs to dwarf willows that spread across the ground. The bark may be gray, brown, yellowish, or blackish. The twigs are usually slender and flexible. Alternate, um, alternately growing leaves are typically narrow and kind of like, uh, like pointy, you know? But some species have more rounded leaves. The leaves may have smooth or um, serrated edges. And it says in late winter... Um, or early spring, willows produce yellow-green flower spikes called catkins. 
These may droop or stand upright. Willows are um, dios. I can't say that word. Yeah, meaning each plant has either all male or all female cackens. That just, you know, shows my brain at this moment. I'm sorry. Um, ecological connections. And I always like to mention this because we got to bring it back to earth. You know what I mean? Um, birds, rodents, and insects find shelter among willow trees. When the catkins appear in late winter or early spring, willows are often the first plants to provide nectar and pollen to bees. Animals such as beavers, elk, and deer browse willow leaves in the summer and twigs in the winter. The young willow shoots are food for beavers and rabbits. Uh, willows also serve as host plants for willow gall sawflies, midges, moths, and butterflies. Um, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Let's learn how to harvest it because I'm telling you all this information. I want you to go out and get it, but let's learn how to properly harvest. Harvest the leaves and bark whenever they are needed. However, it is easiest to work with the bark in late winter to early spring. Later in the season, it may be easier to harvest twigs. For medicine making, we use the inner bark. Do not peel this directly from the trunk, which can hurt or kill the tree. Instead, cut individual young branches or twigs with sharp clippers or a handsaw. Using a knife, peel the bark from the cut branches in strips and chop into smaller lengths for immediate use or to dry for later. Leaves can be harvested by hand or with pruning shears. As you will not be harvesting the entire tree or shrub, simply ensure that you harvest the bark in a respectful way and do not take too much or too many branches or leaves from a single plant. Most willows easily grow from cuttings or broken branches, which you can root in water or plant directly in the ground. Willows also reproduce by seed, but have very specific requirements for germination. Um, harvesting cautions, though it may be possible to mistake uh, populous flowers for willow cackens, there are no strong lookalikes. Okay, so let's, let's read on here. What else? Using willow in your life. Okay. How can we use willow in our life? Well, we can use it a lot of ways. Let's learn. Clinical herbalists often prefer standardized extracts of willow bark due to the large variation of constituents found in willows across the world. However, it is worth getting to know your local species to determine how effective it can be. Herbalist Darcy Williamson says she likes to bite into willow barks to find out how bitter they are. She considers the most bitter tasting willows to be the best ones for medicine. Willow leaves can be used fresh or dried for um, uh, washes, baths, and poultice. All right, so let's see. Special considerations. Those who are sensitive or allergic to aspirin should avoid willow. People who are breastfeeding should avoid willow bark as um, it can be transferred into the breast milk and could cause hypersensitivity in the baby. No case studies or reports have shown that willow causes Reyes syndrome in children, but it is advised to avoid in children. Willow bark may have a very mild effect on platelets and could add to the action of anticoagulated drugs. 
All right, so there are a few recipes, and if you guys know me, you know that I like to share the recipes, and I'm going to share with you um, a few of them. So the first one is a willow leaf bath. So this is for using the leaves. A willow bath can ease aching muscles and painful joints associated with sports injuries, arthritis, um, you know, being over 40. <laughs> things like that other inflammations um making a willow leaf tea produces a stronger effect than simply adding the leaves to your bath however we do like scattering some extra willow leaves in the tub so we can imagine that we're relaxing in a willow tree lime stream yes that sounds nice you can also use this as a foot bath or a hand bath so you will need two quarts of water and three cups of dried willow leaves or four cups of fresh willow leaves lightly crushed. You bring the water to a boil in a large saucepan, turn off the heat, add the willow leaves, stir well to ensure they are submerged, cover with a lid and let it stand for 20 minutes. Carefully pour the mixture through a large fine mesh strainer, compost the herbs and add the liquid to a full bath or use in a hand or a foot bath. So that's something nice to know, right? Okay. What else? Oh, a willow tincture. This this is my this is my gem. Okay. Um so for internal use, a tincture is often preferable. It's also easy to carry when traveling. A willow tincture can be used to modulate inflammation and relieve pain for both acute and chronic conditions. This is a one to five ratio tincture with about a 10% glycerin in the um, menstruum. Willow is high in tannins, which can bind with other constituents and reduce the tincture's effectiveness. Um, adding glycerin helps to prevent this. So that's the, the reason why the glycerin is in there. All right, so this recipe yields about two cups. So we're looking for 60 grams of dried willow bark or twigs, 270 milliliters of 80 proof um, grain alcohol or vodka, 30 milliliters of vegetable glycerin. So you place the willow bark or twigs in a pint jar, whisk the alcohol and glycerin to combine, pour the liquid over the herb and stir to release any air bubbles. Tightly cover the jar and label it. Store the jar in a cool, dark place for six weeks. Shake the jar daily for the first week and make sure the plant material stays submerged in the alcohol for the entire macerating time. Strain the tincture through a cheesecloth, squeezing it well to extract all the liquid. Use a funnel to pour the tincture into a clean dropper bottle. Label and store in a cool, dark place. This will keep indefinitely. And I like to use the amber bottles with the little medicine dropper. Those I find are the best for my tinctures when I make my tinctures. Um, they just keep it ambient and the uh, UV and the light and everything doesn't get to it and damage it. So, yeah, so there's that. And literally, I can walk outside into my front yard and get some and make that today. It's amazing. And it's just something to think about having these things on hand in your, you know, in your apothecary, in your pantry, because I invite you to take a step inside Walgreens or any type of drugstore. They're either 
very low on medicine or the price of medicine is insane. Insane. Got to think outside the box, right? So this is why I do this. This is why I come on here and share what I have with you guys because it's time to start thinking outside the box. So thanks for doing that with me today. I'm going to let you guys go ahead. I have a lot of things to do today. Enjoy the day. It's kind of blustery here. The wind is kicking my butt out there. But uh, I got a lot of inside chores to do today. So I'm going to go get them done. And I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks for watching. Watching. Who are you watching? Nobody. You're listening. It's early, you guys. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. Forgive me. Thanks for listening. Y'all get out there and be kind. I love you.